everyone, and happy holidays, and welcome to a special episode of Movie Mumble. Special episode. Yes, a special holiday episode. Uh, unlike previous years, when we worked ourselves to death doing multiple seasonal <laughs> episodes, we're sticking to one this year. Uh, quality over quantity is the nice way of putting it. I guess the mean way of putting it is we get to, instead of giving up three films a year, we get to drag them out, expand our content make you think it's more valuable <laughs> uh, i don't have any film-based introductions today so we'll just stick to names i'm your host scott murray and i'm here with my good friends joel lewis hello tim gerard hello and zeke perez hello and you could have called us the wet bandits so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you're, you're pretty wet i guess zeke after your, your little beer incident but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a sticky bandit though so it's fine <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is just a monthly movie discussion podcast. Just, just some rest of discussion podcast, but some a mere more. movie I know. discussion <laughs> podcast. Uh, we're four friends, take turns picking films, watching them, and then talking about them. That's about it. Uh, we can watch any film at all, new or old, foreign or domestic, live action or animated, something we've seen before or never seen before. There aren't any rules. Uh, we spoil all the films we talk about, so if you're worried about that, watch a film before its episode. And then at the end of each episode, we announce what we're watching next time, so you can watch along with us. Although I don't know if we've properly announced this holiday bonus episode, but uh, regardless, it's a special holiday bonus episode, so <laughs> doesn't need too much explanation. I actually don't remember who suggested our film, or if we all sort of came to consensus. We voted. I, I had suggested this or Die Hard. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah, and we settled on Home Alone. Well, settled. I mean, it's a great movie. We didn't settle for it. But Both yes, were winners. Holiday movie for this year. Uh, Home Alone is, of course, a holiday classic, and it's much more of a direct holiday film than Die Hard, which is sort of a, a film that happens to take place during the holidays. Peripherally related to Christmas. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So since you laid out the voting, Joel, do you want to intro the film for us? Is, or sure. Or Tim, or is one of you particularly excited? Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I was going to say, not me. <laughs> I I love this film. I grew up with this film. Uh, watching it this time and actually like sitting down and writing notes about it, which I've never done before. I discovered like basically all of my childhood anxieties or like visions of the future or like things I was worried about a kid that still impact me today come from this film. So it's like hugely formative, which I didn't realize until this watch. So that was really cool. It's about Kevin McAllister. He's this kid in this giant family who's kind of in a whirlwind of activity, preparing for a holiday trip to France. And he gets left home alone through a series of unfortunate events, both impractical and illogical. And he has to protect his house from Daniel Stern and Joe fucking Pesci as Marv and Harry, the wet bandits who are trying to steal from the houses on the block. My, I, I, I don't remember a first time watching this. I, I think I, I was recalling that I didn't only watch this during the holidays. I watched this all year round. And I think it's because on the bootleg VHS that my parents recorded from TV, or copied from Blockbusters. Sorry, Tim. And sorry, Blockbuster. Um, <laughs> I don't own stock in Blockbuster. I don't care. <laughs> I had New Hope and Empire Strikes Back on one tape, and in the middle was Home Alone. So it was Star Wars, <laughs> Home Alone, Star oh, Wars. Man. I think. I can't. Like, there was a bunch of different, like, weird combinations on the VHSs my parents had recorded. I 
Like one, like Robin Hood was on the same one as like Little Mermaid and One Hundred and One Dalmatians. Like it was a weird combination of stuff. It was something that when I watched Star Wars, like I would it, maybe that's why I like marathoning so much is that they put three movies in a row on a tape and I just watched to the end of the tape. I am. This is a hugely formative the, <laughs> film and art. The quality was, must have been terrible because I know that that was the thing with VHS. You could have different play rates and. So you could have, was it like two hours, four hours, or eight hours by like variable play speed? Mm -hmm. So you could fit like eight hours on one tape, but the quality was shit because it like slowed it down enough to kind of fit all that. So So if you were able to fit two Star Wars and Home Alone. Yeah, I, I, as I recall, it was, it was uniform. Like it was, it was VHS. It wasn't as good as the ones you would get renting or like the ones we had in the Disney boxes. But yeah, because that, that's why you yeah. can hold more content. More right. But it, it was just cool. like it that's seemed pretty uniform. Yeah. What was fucked up is when I would hit the power or the record button on the, the remote accidentally while it was in. And then you lose half the movie because it would just play, it recorded TV and you didn't realize. I did that a, a few times. <laughs> you pop the tab out. <laughs> oh, is that what the tab was for? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. This was See, not a technology. Yeah, you break that off and then it won't record. See, that's the opposite of my recording experience. Whenever we tried to copy a tape or a couple times a DVD or some CDs, recording was such an intentional process on all of the devices we owned. You know, you had to put the thing in and then like hold the record button while also pushing play on the remote while pushing play on the (laughs) device itself. Like, remembering that too. Yeah. We actually gave up several times. So the fact that you could just hit the button on the remote and start recording with nothing. Well, that was, that was like the, we had a 15 inch tube that had the VCR right below it. it. And it had like a really satisfying power button. And like the, I love that remote for Mm -hmm. years. Instead of like, we tried gluing the back on it because it broke it off because you play with it. Sure. We had a rubber band tied around the top. So you could like, you could just hit the power button and everything. Like a few of the buttons were smushed by the rubber band holding this thing together. God, I haven't thought about that in ages. Jeez, fucking old man here. Um, <laughs> welcome back to dads on the internet. Um, <laughs> I remember watching it kind of year round. It was only kind of like when I started getting like, college i think talking to people about no home alone is a christmas movie i guess i i it's dripping in christmas like one of the quintessential christmas films especially score wise um but it it was yeah hugely hugely formative for me watching this last time really opened up like i really identified with kevin McAllister and mccully like between this and richie rich was very much like what i aspired to as a kid and like those those two movies really impacted how I developed. And there's things I think about today that tie back to this movie specifically um, a lot. So yeah, this I, I love this movie. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. So, and I, the, the, my favorite episode of the podcast ever is our one on the Santa Claus. Cause we're just, we just had, it was one of the, uh, we were all together. We watched it together, I think. And then we just, could not stop laughing, could not stop quoting it. So, like, not not to put undue pressure on this, but, like, I, I've been looking forward to a Christmas episode with you guys, or a holiday episode with you guys all year. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I had the, the hat, Santa hat on earlier. I'm wearing some Grinch flannel pajama bottoms. I'm, I'm very well, much in know, the spirit. Your little slip there is great because I was actually just thinking, this is a really excellent holiday film as opposed to Christmas film. Mm-hmm. Because 
I, I think the family is celebrating Christmas, right? They have a tree in the house. Yeah. But it's completely irrelevant to the plot. The point is that it's winter and the holidays, and the family is traveling to see, see more family. Yeah. And that's it. Like, those, the holiday is irrelevant. <laughs> you know, you could slot anything you wanted in. Um, except maybe for the bit where he talks to Santa, I guess. <laughs> but that, I mean, hold out your little paw there. <laughs> you could replace the character with that character with anybody else, and it would work fine. So, this is a really great generic wintertime holiday film, for sure. Uh, did we all want to just sure. go around and talk about our first experience with Home Alone? Oh, well, since neither Tim nor Zeke seem super eager, right? I'll just start <laughs> us off. I, I actually don't remember my first experience with Home Alone, but it's to say I do remember watching it. I don't know whether we got it from Blockbuster or borrowed it from a friend, or it was just on television, or what. But I remember watching it, going, yeah, that was good. And then, I don't know, that's it. It kind of just fell into the, the big middle lump of films for me. It wasn't something that clicked that I, like, returned to. Um, but it's good, and whenever it comes on, I like it, and I watch it. But the thing that did did stick with me is I I grew up outside Los Angeles, so there's no snow. And I did visit no. my family most <laughs> where there's a lot of snow. But it was always visits, right? And I, I know I've talked to some of you in person about it when I moved to Denver. Like, people would be surprised. Like, oh, aren't you cold? Well, A, I'm cold all the time. But B, like, yeah, I, I have real snow clothing. I, I'm not stupid. I, I own a parka and I own boots because I used to visit my family, right? The things that were trouble, troublesome for me were when you live in the snow every day. Right? That was the part <laughs> that took adjusting. And this film provides a great example because when the the old neighbor is out there shoveling salt onto the sidewalks, there's that little like, oh, it's the, the bits of the kids he's murdered or what have you, right? But it's actually just salt. I asked my parents, I was like, why did this film say he puts salt on the road? What? That's so stupid. And my parents both grew up in, in snow, Snowvale said to me, no, yeah, it's, that's what it is. It's just salt. And I was thinking about like the salt on our table. And I'm like... <laughs> Why do you put salt in a sidewalk? Oh, it melts the snow. Salt melts the snow? What, what the? I was, I did, I saw, I did not believe them. I absolutely did not believe it. I was like, no. There's no way you just go buy like, a Costco-sized thing of those iodized salts and put them in a bucket and pour it on your sidewalk. This is so stupid. It can't be real. Right? You didn't do that elementary school uh, experiment in science. No. No, that was the part I did not believe. So... Every time this film comes up, I think of it as, oh, yeah, the salt film. <laughs> the salt, the the salt film. film. <laughs> yeah, with the mean-looking guy salt and sidewalk and getting <laughs> shade from the neighborhood kids over it. That's so that's my, my connection to Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Tim? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. also don't remember the first time I saw it. When, when did this come out? 94? Like, is it like 90s? 90. Okay. 1990. Yeah, it's 90. 1990? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was just that it wasn't. I could see I, if I had to guess, I could see that my mom wasn't a huge advocate because of like the violence in it, like at, at least as a Christmas movie. Like I've definitely seen more violent films, but as far as like what we were going to get together and watch as a family, like it probably wasn't top of the list. Um, yeah, so I don't know if if we had seen it sort of like when I was, because I would have been in like middle school at that point. Yeah, so I don't, I, I don't, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe it was later, maybe it was when I was in college, and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, like, or maybe post-college when I was at Blockbuster, where it was like, yeah, let's watch this. So it, I, I feel like I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've seen it total. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was necess- not necessarily one that I kind of even would associate as a Christmas movie. 
and it you know it took me a minute to when when it was brought up like oh is that oh that's right yeah and I think I think last year when I was doing my like a different Christmas movie you know inspired by Joel's like thirty days of horror movies in October and I had done like a different Christmas movie every day in December I don't think it was on my list like maybe it might have been there if I needed like an extra film because there weren't enough to fill out between you know December first and the twenty fifth but yeah it was definitely. Not one I, I really connected with too hardcore, maybe because by that point I already had so many from when I was a kid that like, like, you know, like Mickey's Christmas Carol, like a Christmas story, you know, all the ones we did last time when we first did this, you know, and also I think, you, you know, like as far as what we watched together as a family, like, I don't know that until I moved away that I was like watching Christmas movies by myself. It was always, Hey, what are we all going to watch together? And then, you know, it, it pretty much stuck to this, this handful of Christmas movies that we had. Uh, and uh, yeah, it actually wasn't until recently that we added, you know, four Christmases to that list. So I remember that being a huge deal. Like, Oh, we have another Christmas movie that we watch <laughs> as a family. Like that's a big deal. Like this had to be a really good movie to you know squeeze its way into um, you know our, our traditional movies. But I, I will say that this was probably the time, I enjoyed it the most, I think just because, um, you know, it's, you know, as at the time of viewing, it was a little bit before, you know, December even. So it, it was kind of nice to get this sort of sneak peek of like the Christmas vibe, you know, which I'm a, a huge fan of, you know, the whole Christmas season. And again, I call it Christmas season because I'm relating to myself. I realize it's so the holiday season. So you're one of people lights up on November 1st, huh? Uh, probably not November 1st. Like I would, I would wait till the day after Thanksgiving. You know, I would give each holiday its due, but like as soon Excellent. as Thanksgiving's over, Excellent. you know, it's like now we're on to Christmas, you know. That's um, but too that's, early. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> December 1st. Stop jumping um, well, the gun. <laughs> and I mean, to be fair, like we've gotten really lazy with our decorations, mostly because our cats will tear them down. So we haven't really decorated much in the past few years. But um, yeah, and I, I'm also an advocate more so of leaving the decorations up after Christmas. So as I always say, like once Christmas is over, it's just winter and shitty for three months. So it's like, you know, like bring, keep some of that joy going, like keep some of the colorful lights up. So at least it looks nice and it's not just white and gray and miserable all the time. Um, yeah. I was going to say, anyway. I, uh, not to, sorry to cut in, but no, my no, rules no. too with Christmas lights are also less about when they go up and more about when they come down following the good old Denver rule of you take them down when the stock show ends. So you get, you know, a couple weeks into <laughs> January. Yeah. See our tradition, we leave the tree and stuff up until Tina's birthday the 12th of January, because that was the tradition oh, nice. that her parents kind of established. So we do that. But yeah, my cool. with my parents, like I usually go back, like every other, I go back and do Christmas with my folks. And they like to do decorating the tree the day after Thanksgiving or very close to Thanksgiving, which I, I think you should wait till December 1st. Like that's, I'm, I'm holding out, man. I got my decorative gourds out still like, I'm not letting go in November yet. <laughs> Scott, well, you know, do you have a, I mean, a, a tradition for that? Or Yeah, we just kind of play it by ear, you know. The joke is, of course, that we throw it out when it becomes a fire hazard, which means the moment <laughs> we cut it down. In <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I just it, we did keep them up afterwards, always, just like you said, Tim, to kind of squeeze some more cheer out of, out of winter. But yeah, there was no actual rule. I mean, just did it when we felt like it yeah but they always went up yeah. after thanksgiving usually during the month of december but again as long as it was after thanksgiving vaguely there was no hard and fast rule and there, there were a few years too where like you know when i you you know before covid when i would go visit rhode island you know 
um, a lot of times, you know, it would kind of be like, oh, when I'm, you know, back at my mom's house, that's when we would put it up there because I was there and, you know, so that we could all do it together, um, which was usually I've been going back there between November and December just so that I don't have to deal with the holiday rush, you know, but I can still be there in between the holidays and you're, you know, again, when you're still in the season. And that's when we would watch our Christmas movies. But, but yeah, so even though it's not my favorite, it was nice to get a little like pre-holiday cheer happening. And um, it was definitely, you know, nice to feel that, that, that wonder, which to be fair, you know, there was a period of time where, you know, it's like every, in every Christmas movie, I feel like you see the kid look out the window and it's like, Oh, look, it's snowing. And I, I feel like as an adult, you're like, fuck, I got to go shovel that. Which, to be <laughs> fair, I haven't had to feel like that in years because, you know, the apartments I've lived in, they've handled the snow removal. Um, so it's it's been fine. So, it's, it, you know, I get to, to, you know, to enjoy that, you know, vicariously through that character, the joy of seeing the snow. And it's like, oh, yeah, like I get to get excited about snow now because I don't have to be the one to shovel it. Um so all those little moments and, you know, him kind of, you know, like, yeah, the decorations, him putting the ornaments on the tree. It was definitely like, you know, getting me all amped up for the, you know, even though we don't decorate again, it's like a lot of it is vicariously through these characters. Like, oh, my house will never look like that, but at least theirs looks really nice and, and Christmassy. So, so I, I did enjoy that. I was, I was glad to be able to, to watch it this time, even though, even, you know, even though I, it's not what I would have chosen on my like top 10 list or whatever. It was definitely, you know, it wasn't, oh, Oh, you know, it wasn't this dumb Christmas movie. It was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, like let's let's get a little taste of Christmas, you know. And what about you, Z? Yeah, um, some similarities and differences, I think, with Tim. Um, you know, unlike Tim being able to count it on one hand, the number of times he had seen it, I think for me it's uncountable. I think it's just always been there, you know, coming out in 1990. So then by the time I was a kid, it, I don't know if it was just one that was always on TV or we had the VHS for or a mix of both, but it was just always there. I think, you know, one consistent with my family for the holidays is that we'll watch some things together, you know, Halloween, it's the great pumpkin and it's the shining. And then Christmas, there's yeah, Christmas. There's a lot like Christmas, you know, it's, um, it's red rum, Charlie Brown. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Where's the shining crossover. (laughs) Um, yeah, for Christmas, it was the, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, Santa Claus, Home Alone, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, Christmas stories on all day on the 24th. So that's there. Um, yeah, so we just, it was just always there as a staple. Um, so I've seen it a ton. I, so I don't remember the first time, right? Um, but it, it was interesting watching it this time and thinking about what resonated with me then versus what resonates with me now or throughout the years. I think, it is an interesting timestamp um, for that reason, right? I, I wanted to get, eventually want to get to what uh, Tim was saying about it being a violent movie, because I think as a kid, the part that sticks out to you is him defending his house against the wet bandits. And then watching it again today, I was thinking like, that's not even the longest the <laughs> part of the movie. You know, they, I mean, it's, it's the last chunk, but minutes wise, I feel like they spend more time on the lead up to it and some other, other parts of it. But you know, and I know now as an adult, right, there's the memes that float around about how did this family afford this house in Chicago and they can take a holiday trip to, you know, Paris. Like, what kind of money do they have? What do they However do for a living? Yeah. yeah, with all those kids and dropping 120 on pizza. You know, I, like the adulthood realization of Tim, like you said, I have to shovel that snow or 
how am I paying the bills for all these damn kids in the house? And, you know, maybe I'll just say it. Maybe he deserved to be left home alone. He's kind of a dick in that first five minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. There's different pieces that jump out throughout the years, which is fun. I think I love it because of all the, I think it's a really well-written comedy movie. I think there's a lot of funny lines. I think it's very quick. I think it's very well-written and it holds up because of that. So yeah, it was great to watch it again. And, And like Joel said, think of it, because right, it's on every year, and I've seen it a ton, but I haven't really thought about how do you talk about Home Alone. So, um, was excited to think of it that way, and I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Joel, you mentioned that you you gave us the options of Die Hard and Home Alone. How did you narrow it down to those two options? Um, well, I it, we're we're recording November nineteenth. So this is way early for me to be in the holiday spirit. So in my in my head, what I was thinking is I never thought of Home Alone as a Christmas movie per se because I watched it so frequently all year round. And Die Hard is the like most contended Christmas movie or Christmas-related or adjacent movie. I just yeah, thought that they, they were both like – holiday adjacent enough that like it wasn't like full-on christmas spirit i just feel like when you start it too early it like it, it makes it less special like <laughs> what is that that post that's been going around like the war on christmas will end when christmas relinquishes control of november <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that that's that so was weird. and i i saw die hard pretty late um maybe junior year of my undergrad so it took a long time for me to actually. No, I, I guess it was it was like uh, uh, high school. Like I guess my dad had bought them like kind of my senior year, going into freshman year. So I hadn't grown up with watching Die Hard as a Christmas movie or even at all. So to to get to watch it and then have an excuse to watch Die Hard every year, like <laughs> that that's that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah, China contends about, that it is not a Christmas movie. So yeah. <laughs> they're both about pale white guys outwitting a uh, an invasion. It's it's it's, basically, invasion. Yeah. it's the two extremes of the home invasion setup, but they're set at yeah. Christmas. Kevin grew up and changed his name and became a cop. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I actually think I saw. Is it die? Is the third one Die Hard with a Vengeance? I think I saw that yes. one before I saw so the many. first one. Same here. Yeah. Because that was probably the one that came out in the theaters, and it was kind of like there, and it was like, okay, oh, there's two more of these. Oh, okay, I should see those at some point. Apparently, not the second one though. But <laughs> uh, Die Harders, uh, uh, unappreciated. I think it's it's a perfectly perfectly good film. With a Vengeance is my favorite. Like I, well, that's I the thing. Like starting with that, that it's like, come on, yeah. <laughs> like you can't get better than that. <laughs> yeah. Zeus, motherfucker. <laughs> God, hey, do I look Puerto Rican to you? Some of my favorite lines come from that movie. <laughs> but back to Home Alone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not the second sequel of the other movie we didn't watch. <laughs> no, yeah. Home Alone's another one of those films that I forget half of it. Like, not to, Malone for me is all about the tricks and booby traps, right? It's all about the weird things he did to his house, starting with the duplicity and then leading up to the, the uh, you know, crippling violence. <laughs> but there's so much film before that. There's so much setup with placement, and, and just I forget that all the time. I, I was I thinking about that too this time. Like I, I feel like it's one of the strongest third acts 
in movies like it Mm -hmm. because that's what you remember and it's so well paced and it's such a great there's an escalation to it as we're introduced to kevin like dealing with being on his own you see how clever he is and you see there's little callbacks like hey move your micro machines because that your aunt almost broke her neck slipping on him so that little seed's planted so early and they talk about him making uh, uh ornaments out of fish hooks he's like crafty he's got this like this creative brain i can't make him out of the old my new fish hooks oh i can't make him out of the old one with dry word got stuck on him like i i love i love that so i i think the third act is so memorable because it's so well written and it's also like the 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 uh, climax of this kind of slow build as we kind of I, I don't know that I was struck by how what you remember so much is him beating up Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern <laughs> and I it's not a sneaky entry of Joe Pesci into the beginning of the movie right it's not, not at subtle at all he's just there from the first scene in the house uh, you know trying to scope it out but if you would have asked me about that as a kid I probably wouldn't have put two and two together. I mean, I would have known that it was him. Right. But wouldn't have really been like, Oh, they're planting the seeds for this later thing. Right. Because like we've all said, you, you remember him booby trapping the house, him getting back at them. Uh, but it is a really steady ride. Right. When he's walking back from the store and they almost hit him with the, the, the uh, van and just all of the other run-ins with him. Uh, yeah. Just so great. So many good seeds planted, I think. I love the confidence of him to just stand there as a criminal, just like I'm dressed like a cop. It's fine. Like he must have been there for like half an hour, just waiting to talk to someone. Like at no point is he like, all right, I'm getting a little nervous here. Like, you know, what's it? He's just like, you know, like what a, what a confident crook. See, and he was invisible in all of that commotion. Like nobody took any notice of him. So like, it, I also love that it shows how smart he is. These are not dumb crooks. They end up getting outwitted, but they're, they know, like, when the lights turn on, they know that everybody's going. They they had the, like, the balls to go in and see, like, how long are you going to be gone? Like, just, it, it, it was really, like, I, this time I was really struck by, like, they established that j- they're not stupid. They've got this planned out. Like, may, maybe Marv is dumb, like, because he's wanting to flood things. But, like, Harry's actually a pretty clever con. It's what I makes love the that, man, it's important. You know, like at the end, it's not just, oh, yeah, you know, we caught some some crooks who've been breaking in houses. That's why they're low, wet bandits, you know. Yeah. And I love that uh, Harry's invisible, but the pizza man's not as soon as the pizza man's there. <laughs> pizza he gets attention. Right? <laughs> Harry's trying to catch somebody for 20 minutes. Can't get a, you know, a word with an adult there. But uh, as soon as the pizza's there and I can relate strongly to that. I can't, I cannot believe how well cast this movie is like down to the pizza guy. It's just pitch perfect. I love the mom in this. I love the dad in this. I love the way they're written. I love their dynamic. I like how in, in Paris, the dad's like, well, we're exhausted. Let's try and pull back. And she insists she's going to stay like you at no point. Do you think of her as a bad mother? The second she realizes he's gone. Because she is just going to claw and drag herself back to, to make sure that he's okay. Like To I, get there five minutes before everybody else. Right. <laughs> but, like, you, there's an immediacy to that. There's a genuineness. There, there, like, I, I love her performance in this. Like, no, this is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. <laughs> like, and then John Candy comes in to save the day. Like, I, I, I think it's one of the really the best written 
movies. Like I, I, I love it. Like what you're saying, see, like the planting the seeds with Joe Pesci, everything coming back to his tooth and like this, the runner of his tooth being what Kevin recognizes and then it getting knocked out and him taking like he, in ter- not just the crooks getting uh, arrested, but Kevin's one up. He got the gold in the dude's head. Like that's how good, well he outwitted them. I, I just made that connection. I, I love that. And then I love too that this this film could definitely not be made uh, today. You know, number one, post nine eleven. Number right. two, oh my god! Know, oh hey, you're a woman, and we're a van full of dudes you don't know. Come on into our creepy van. <laughs> you know, like well, that would happen. They work really hard to say these are these are harmless Minnesota right. men. Like that's all. <laughs> the most. <laughs> I cannot comprehend anything beyond polka and burrito. <laughs> The That's list of I... polka songs that he rattles off is fantastic. <laughs> polka, polka. The fact that he's so hurt that she doesn't recognize him, and that he spends such a long time trying to jog her, like, look, you have to have heard of us. Because the implication <laughs> is that polka is well-known at all, right? It's, it's, so sorry. it's one of my favorite John Candy roles. Like, he's in it for, like, three... He's playing the fucking clarinet. He's like, try it! Like he, she's just gonna pick up the clarinet. Like what the fuck? <laughs> there were pretty big hits for us in the seventies. <laughs> in the seventies, uh, and then the um, not I'm probably jumping in ahead. Chicago, here. No, Sheboygan. We were big in Sheboygan. It sold a lot <laughs> in Sheboygan. <laughs> I'm probably jumping ahead, but while we're on the John Candy train here, um, I heard that the scene where he says he left his kid behind in a funeral home was uh, improvised. No and Catherine O'Hara is just like trying to keep it together the whole time. It was like, Oh my gosh. Nice. Like, let's not talk about it. Well, you brought it up. Well, I'm sorry. I did. Six or seven weeks. Uh, later. Yeah, you start talking again. <laughs> just oh, all gosh. day with the corpse. I was <laughs> <laughs> <Always> distraught. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Funeral what? Home Alone. That's that's the reboot. <laughs> we need. There you that, go. That's the that's the prequel we need. It'll be exactly. about that kid being left there, and yeah. not. And then you can make it Bubba Hotep, like it's a zombie, like he has to protect people from the corpse that comes alive. And John and Candy then, will have to catch a ride with some other kind of band that thinks they're popular. Yes, uh, I was going to say that's John Candy's rise to polka because music is the way he copes <laughs> with leaving his kid at a funeral. <laughs> No, that's how he gets it to speak. Like he's like you he notices one day that the kid's toe is like tapping along to the polka that's like on the, some random it was like, No, my life has to be about polka now. This is dark. <laughs> Let's write it. Write it it's now. Perfect for a gritty reboot. Everything's gritty these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Have a slow polka pending. song in the in the trailer. Yes. Right? There we Get go. Get weird Al to do like a non-ironic <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> and then i want to see like uh what i want to see is at some point in the film there's a bunch of people at an airport trying to get on a plane and they're like here here's our stack of tickets and everyone's like no you can't just go no. running on a plane and hand me a stack of tickets i gotta make sure there's a ticket for every person here <laughs> and like <laughs> speaking of i always forget that they throw away kevin's ticket mm-hmm. so when he sm- smashes into buzz and knocks all the milk all over everything when his dad puts down all the paper towels, he balls them all up, picking up one ticket, just one, Kevin's, mm-hmm. and throws it away. I like well, I like the uh, um, well, there are two reasons for that. 
Ruth Bader first, Ginsburg machine. What is it called? Ru- what is that uh, called? <laughs> Ruth Goldberg machine. Ruth Goldberg machine. Yeah. I think Ruth Bader. Let's give her that too. Ruth Bader Ginsburg machine. She got stuff done that slowly. Without court rulings at the end of it. <laughs> but yeah, there are two two reasons that they they had to throw this ticket out because a if they had showed up and handed all the tickets, the flight attendant would have checked them all and gone, "There's this extra ticket here." Or would she? And, she fucking castle well, as fuck. Just sit where you maybe, want. But, but, you know, but, yeah, no, that no. would have created a potential problem. No, And then sure. two, because that way they had a backup film. That if Kevin did come to the airport, they would just do uh, Final Destination Home Alone. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was a stretch in my but I don't apologize. No, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's, it's the plane from Donnie Darko that there are. Yes. <laughs> They're the ones that made it through. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the plane ticket getting thrown away catch is, uh, is, is one. And then the, the, you know, the little kid when they're loading up the van yeah. and in a rush and he gets included in the head count. Those are just two details that I, again, as a kid seeing this back before, wouldn't have really cared about or noticed because it doesn't stick out to me in my memory. Um, but the number of times I've watched it in recent years, it's like, oh, there's an explanation for how Kevin gets left alone, right? I think when you're a kid, it's like he gets in trouble, he gets sent up to the attic, and then next thing you know, he's fighting criminals, and that's the important parts of the movie. But there's so much yeah. more to it uh, as an adult, I think. It's, I think it's accepted in general, too, because um, none of us here have kids, but we've heard all kinds of stories about parents, and especially new parents, but parents in general, just doing absent-minded mix-ups right you know you put the milk in the car seat and the kid in the grocery bag type of thing right <laughs> or or your kid wanders off you leave behind so the idea what parents that do family... you know scott do we need to call somebody about so, this well no you know you, you catch it before anything happens right but you know the so the idea that this family with more kids that we've ever seen in one place outside of a school you know mixes things up it's just like oh okay sure it's it sort of clicks as like yeah why not you know it's not, it's not egregious enough to to get you to question the pretense, the pretense, the premise of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like to look back, of course, and then go, oh, yeah, these were terrible parents. But it's not the kind of thing that, that takes you out of it in the moment. So I, I wanted to talk about, like, do we like Kevin? Does Kevin deserve to be left home? I always watch this from the POV of Macaulay Culkin. Because as a little blonde, waifish kid who was born in 1990, this dude was my fucking idol. I had this stupid plastered gel comb over that he had in Richie Rich, like, until high school, okay? The level of impact this kid had on my development is, is paramount. There, there's no, it's, it's without comparable. You can't, it's incomparable. Um, yeah. It was like know, him uh... and then Jim Carrey. Like, that was the progression <laughs> of my life. Right, with Richie Rich, with this, and then I know Joel and I were talking about this in a Walmart, but Pagemaster... Yeah. Like Macaulay Culkin was the was the childhood kid I aspired to be. Right. Or so you know, he's always in my life. And that's the thing, like watching the opening of this film, everything is going wrong in his life. Every like he he is like there everything's moving, everybody's moving around, and then his aunt tells him to go pack his suitcase. And as a little kid, I don't know how to fucking pack a suitcase. I felt like that so, like, every time I pack a suitcase, I was like, do I know how to do this? Am I adult enough to do this? Like, it's, you instantly understand, like, the POV of this kid. And then every every person he asks for help who's an older kid is shitting on him. Like, there's no reason for them to be as mean as they are. 
it's not as mean as the flashback with the different line readings of like you're such a little jerk laser and Copa, that whole thing like that that's its own issue we could talk about that but like he's it's genuinely asking for help and then he discovers i have to sleep on the hide of bed with fuller and he's gonna wet the bed like the amount of anxieties he's got to deal with in this one night and the one thing the one thing that he would like is a large cheese pizza that he has to eat with milk because they're trying to get rid of it and buzz fucking eats the whole fucking thing for no reason it's the worst day of his life. And that's how it feels to be a little kid where, like, I have so I, I, I don't know anything and everything is going wrong. I, I love that so much. And then, like, yeah, he talks back to his mom like a little shit. And, I mean, that many kids, you're the baby, you get away with a lot, I would assume. I'm an, uh, Winston didn't get away with everything. She's my only sibling. But she got away with a lot more than I did. But, like, the baby of three other siblings, like, I... He he is really kind of rude to his mom about like we are upstairs, dummy. The third floor, that whole thing. Like there, there's definitely some venom in there that's not acceptable. And like, but like he's just having a day, <laughs> and I'm like, it's it's insult to injury. Like I, I I I love that, and the construct of him sleeping alone. There's so many factors that contribute to him being left. If he had slept with Fuller, somebody would have come and gotten Fuller. Like, it, it, like, there's so many things, like, if there hadn't been a storm, there wouldn't be a powder outage. So all of these different things. Yeah, I think the duality of Macaulay Culkin, to call it that, <laughs> you know. That's his biography. Uh, we got to write it. <laughs> I think, I mean, if I called my mom or dad a dummy, get my ass beat. So that's that side of Macaulay that I'm like, maybe he deserved to get left. But, you know, you said Buzz takes his cheese pizza and then like barfs it up in front of him. He's like, if you want a piece, you're going to have, somebody's going to have to barf it up because it's gone. And then barfs it onto the floor in front of him. I'd square up with Buzz if he did that. Like, wholly understandable. I would square I, up with Buzz now if he did that shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I, I don't know why they blame Kevin. I, I know it's the movie and that's the, like, but like, if I see my oldest kid, I'm pretty sure that's the shit kicker. Right? He's had to be the first through the door on everything. Let's see what he did first. Look at that face. That perfectly cast thug face for this movie. Yeah, I think, I mean, like, because at one point he says he's in second grade, right? So he's yeah. like seven. Yeah. Like, like yeah. you're not really a, a person. I mean, you're a person in the sense that you shouldn't be treated like garbage, but you're not a person in the sense that you learn how to yeah, not call your mom a dummy when every person around you has just been shitting on you all day, yes. you know, like, and I think that's part exactly. of it is like, like he's, he's responding in the way that he's been treated, you know, and, yeah. and I guess we're supposed to see that, you know, you know, and, and part of it too is there are extra people in the house. So maybe it's more chaotic, but still like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of kids. And the parents seem to be very like, I don't know. I, I feel like they seem way too chill for parents who have that many kids, you right. know? Like that, that part's a little, I mean, it, it explains a lot. It explains how all his older siblings are able to just tear into him all the time. Like, I feel like his parents are just kind of like, oh, it's, it's fine. You know, like, so I feel like if they were, yeah, more aware of what was going on to their youngest kid and not, you know, you definitely get the sense where it's just like, oh, we have too many kids to worry about. Like, this is one too many We're you know, we're just kind of, we're done parenting now. We happen to have this other kid, but we're done parenting. <laughs> Um, also, yeah, like, it, you know, kind of like what Zeke was saying before about how are they able to afford all this stuff? Like, I think just in general, I feel like they, they live like people who have fully grown children, 
not right. kids who are still in the age where they're going to like break stuff by being kids around the house, you know? Right. So like, yeah, that I don't know how much of that gorgeous. is just like, yeah, just like perfectly done shooting of a house. I've aspired to that house so yeah. much. Like, uh, but like you said, like it is pristine too with that, that red paisley and green wallpaper going, like it's the most Christmassy house of all time, but it's also yeah. like super clean and super like, not kidding, like Norman Rockwell, like that, like yeah, it's like a museum, yeah, yeah. So, I, and I get the sense like both the parents work, but I, I like the parents. Like when you get to see the parents like interact with people, like I, I do like them. But there is kind of this affectation where it's like we hang out with our kids when we don't have to work, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean maybe thing. maybe that's part of it too. Is like maybe you know, with the older brother being old enough, maybe it's like, oh, good, you watch the kids, right. you know, which gives him kind of this resentment because he's like, hey, I'm a kid. I shouldn't be being a parent or a free babysitter, you know, so I could see like, you know, yeah, and, and maybe that's part of it is, the, yeah, the parents are, are decent people, but are they good parents, <laughs> you right. know, like. Yeah. Can we talk so, yeah, about, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say like, yeah, like 99%, I feel bad for Kevin. I feel like, yeah, there are those moments where it's like, Oh, you shouldn't have said that, but it's like, but yeah, he's seven. How is he supposed to know he shouldn't have said that? You know, like he's, I think he's a product of his environment. I think it's surprising that he's not more fucked up than he is at this point. You know, like assuming he's treated this way all the time, it could have just been a perfect storm of events that, that, you know, made the day what it was. Um, But I mean, yeah, it, it also was weird the way the mom reacted to him calling her a dummy and things like that, you know, like, which maybe that's kind of a, a clue either. Maybe, on some level she understands or on some level she's just like, whatever, I've given up. You can call me a dummy if you want. Go upstairs. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, it definitely is a weird family dynamic. I, I feel like that's what I was like paying attention to most, you know, at this point and just like, you know, and, and a lot of, t- <laughs> a lot of times like how you mentioned, Oh yeah, none of us have kids. Like every now and then I'll be watching uh, a movie with, with Krista and something will happen with kids involved and it will just turn to each other and be like, want to have kids? We're like, Nope. Because <laughs> it's just like every every example, with the one exception, the one thing that makes me consider having kids someday is Bob's Burgers. Because yep. if I could have kids like that and have a life <laughs> oh, like God. that, I, I I would be happy. But like every other example of kids, whether it's like in a commercial or like any other thing, or it's just like, oh yeah, you know, like my my kids shit all over the inside of my car. You know, it, it's always something like that. It's just what like commercials that's are you not, watching. Oh no, that's, not in a commercial. That's like, a left that, turn like, for Charmin. They went from the Bears to that. What the fuck? <laughs> but no, like just like there, there are just situations like that all the time in, in in movies or whatever. And and not that you know that will definitely happen, but it's not definitely not going to happen. You know, <laughs> like like all the stuff that like that you'll see. It's like sure, like this is probably fabricated. But then again, it could be based on something that actually happened to someone, you know, with these kids or just, you know, just, just anything, you know, but like, you know, that, that, this movie would be a perfect example of that where they're just like kids running around wreaking havoc. And it's like, um, I, you know, and I feel like, yeah, like that's what, what's really funny about it is when he attacks his older brother, it's like, Oh, you spilled the milk. And it's like, really? That's the worst thing that's happened in his house is like spilling some milk, like not like. I feel like in a normal situation, if you had like that many kids, as, well, also, I, I I feel like I always forget how many siblings are his. Does he have two older brothers and an older sister? Is it yep. two sisters and a brother or? It's two older so brothers it's like, and an older sister. Yeah. So it's like, there's, there's definitely been more roughhousing going on in that house, you know, like, and, and that's what I always wonder too. Like, would it, would he have been better off? Maybe, maybe there hasn't been as much 
physical abuse, but then there's been more emotional abuse. And it's always like, which is worse? You know, if you have an older brother who kind of wrestles with you and you're kind of like, all right, I kind of toughened up, but you know, whatever, as long as it was never like you felt like you were scared, you know, if it was like, oh yeah, like, I, you know, I, I was, I'm the oldest and the only boy. So I never like wrestled as a kid, but like I could kind of see, cause some of my friends had older brothers and they would like wrestle. And it's like, oh, you, you could kind of see where, you, you know, you, at least you're, you're familiar with that type of contact in case if someday you actually have to get in a real fight, you know, it's not the first time you've been in that type of altercation, but it's like, I feel like it's your brother, you know, he's not going to actually murder you the way a stranger might if you get into a fight with someone. So it's like, I don't know, like, I've always looked back on my childhood. And it's like, do I wish I had an older brother who would beat me up sometimes? So I would be a little tougher or not that I want a younger brother that I could have beaten up, but like, oh, let me teach you how to fight, you know, in a constructive way so that you kind of prepared for this. But like emotional abuse is just, it's just fucked up. Like there's no, you know, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I could justify if you had an older brother who would kind of like wrestle with you sometimes, as long as, like I said, you don't feel scared, but there's, there's no reason, there's no positive outcome from like the emotional abuse this kid has gotten from everyone in his family, you know, to some degree, you know, whether it's, you know, neglect from his parents, you know, where it's like, and again, like, I don't know, there's the part where she's on the phone and it's like, okay, she's on the phone. It's like, you know, like give him a minute or whatever, but like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's so hard. I, I think above anybody, like I, I do root for Kevin. Cause it's like, yeah, like he's definitely the underdog in the story, you know, at the very least. And, you know, yeah, at, at most it's like, I hope he doesn't need a ton of therapy. I mean, he's going to need therapy. He almost got his fingers bitten off, which that's, that was the thing I wanted to talk about too. The Fucking thing that joke. stuck with me most about this, this film is, you know, cause when they're like, Oh, what are we going to do with him? And it's like, Oh man, this is, and for some reason, like I was okay until the point where he's like, we're going to bite off every one of his fingers. And I was just like, what the fuck? You know, it's the thing. If Joe Pesci tells you that he's going to bite off your fingers one at a time and then proceeds yeah. to put it in you, like, that's what the man's going to do. Acting or no yeah. acting. Like I, I saw yeah. good films way too <laughs> early to trust right. this man. Like, yeah. That's, that's one story I've heard too. Um, don't know how true it is. Saw it a while back, but apparently, like Joe Pesci actually bit Macaulay Culkin mega hard and like left a maybe a scar or at least like a mark. Like he straight up just bit the actual kid. So Joe Pesci is just a, a menace. And they brought him back for a sequel. <laughs> yeah, Macaulay's like, it's in my writer. I need to be fifteen feet from Mister Pesci at all times. I there is something so funny about Joe Pesci trying not to curse in this movie. Because this is <laughs> post-Goodfellas, right? Is Goodfellas is, is 87, 80-something? 80 I can't remember. But, like, this man has only ever played a belligerent gangster. Goodfellas is also 1990. Okay, same year. Oh, my God. So right there, yeah. That's got to be, uh, what was his life as an actor going from the, the one set to the other? Guys, I'm just taking everything. <laughs> <laughs> the call, the calls keep coming. I keep saying yes. I'm doing a Macaulay feature. <laughs> right, the amount of cussing on one set and the amount of not cussing on the other has to be because he's just he's he's like so much of this movie is Looney Tunes. Yes, right. A Kevin percent. Kevin is fucking Roadrunner meets Bugs Bunny. Is that like the, yep. the things that he does? The, th the way he responds to and defies physics, like it's it's outstanding and the fact that marv i i love this pairing 
that casting again so perfect you got a short little round guy and a tall skinny guy they even look great they look like uh the dudes from uh jasper and uh, uh horace from fucking 101 dalmatians that is like the goon yep. profile yep. that's how you cast it round and short tall and skinny and they're like little kids like you're you're afraid of the dark too, Mark. No, I'm not. You are too. Not, not, not. Like they, as smart as they show them to be, they're also these little kids. And the fact that Pesci gets into this almost like Tasmania devil, like like trying not to curse, just like under his breath, he's in pain. Like he's so fucking funny. I I don't know how you you are that comedically funny, but also a great serious actor too. Like it, it's I mean. Millions of co- comedic actors, but I never thought of Joe Pesci as. I mean, I guess he did My Cousin Vinny, and like he's always had comedic, I don't know, like outlook. He always was part of comedic projects, but I don't think of him as a comedian first, I guess. So I always think of him as a dramatic art, uh, actor who could cross over the other side. I spoke a lot, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. The Louis Tinstein was exactly what I was thinking because it, it feels very, very Roadrunner Coyote, Tom and Jerry. Sort of, which I think is maybe why I only one of the reasons you only remember the, the booby traps towards the end, you know, because the whole those, those cartoons set up set up all of their booby traps in like thirty seconds, and then that's the traps is the whole show, right? So, I sort of subconsciously mold the film onto that same framework of intro, boom, just chucked to one side, and then substance, <laughs> it's all traps. <laughs> Speaking of booby traps, Sarah tends to booby trap the apartment okay. out on purpose. <laughs> That's great. She absolutely does. I one of our friends, Sierra, has been Sarah and her have been friends for ages, including in college. And Sierra used to say that Sarah would booby trap things. And it I mean it's true. You'll go sit down and something Sarah's got placed on the top of the couch will slide down into your head. Or or land in your lap or fall over you. Um <laughs> the stuff she places naturally out of habit is like it stays until someone interacts with it and then it falls. <laughs> <laughs> and learning around that was a bit like a Home Alone episode for the first week or so. Uh, thankfully, they're not as deadly, you know, not as malicious. No blowtorches yet. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of thing that just doesn't. The, the, the sense of comedy is that then, right about when you change what you're doing for the anticipated trap, she changes what she's doing in order to help not hit you anymore. And then it continues, right? <laughs> right. I mean, no, in nowhere better is that demonstrated than the two, the second paint can, yeah. right? Like right. that is such a perfect joke. It's so simple. You get <laughs> Stern is going up, Marv is going up, just barreling up, wham, and he's already gotten hit in the face, so he's still got the fucking iron impression on his face. Wham, flies. Joe Pesci's like, "I'll get him for you, Marv." Not anticipating, it's right there, knocks him right the fuck down. Like it's just. Yeah, it, it, it's per- he's anticipated everything until that final moment. And that's when the adults start thinking like, no, we're not let's not play the little kid game anymore. Let's let's think about this instead of reacting. Let's act. And, but it, like Kevin's so smart and the way he's like, well, if they get in this way, they might have to take off their shoes and then you come in here. And he might have set up the trap for the crinkly like the ornaments cracking just to alert him to the fact they were in the house. Like it works both ways and that's brilliant real quick i wanted to talk about like the the number of things in this film that like i have so 
ingrained in my head anxiety wise i just i have to express these them going to the airport that rush to run run rudolph fucking terrifying that is my worst case scenario (laughs) that is what i am worried about every fucking time i go to the airport is having to run to the gate like that they make it in time they've got a great little song that goes in the background but in my head it's like i cannot be the McAllisters right now like i hate that Um, when he get, he gets all of the groceries and he's walking home and they're all plastic, Zeke knows we we lived on campus and had to walk all the way to Safeway. We were like, that was how it felt. Like we were moving like two liters of soda and frozen pizza and stuff, plastic bags. You had to walk carefully to not pull a Kevin. Like, I did drop a pasta sauce jar one time and it oh, broke like that. Man. And the same thing. Yeah, I don't remember so hearing about that. Oh man, you, you must have been mad. I you were, you were mad. It. Yeah, kept it deep inside. <laughs> Keep it all right here, and then one day I'll die. <laughs> and then the the basement that is the scariest basement in film. I've seen Texas Chainsaw too. Like fuck that basement. That that is so scary and like it, that's like so intimidating. It's such a great little. And when when he defeats it, when he is he only goes down there twice, and the second time he's got it figured out. And that is such a great like triumphant moment. It's like no, this is my home. I'm defending it. Fuck you. I'm not scared of this. I, I love that so much. And then there was one other thing. Like the stealing thing, when when she cuts to him running away from Marley, and the ch- there's this chase sequence in this movie. I had forgotten that. Um, but he's walking home, and he's just looking at the toothbrush. He's like, I'm a criminal. Like, I, that's exactly how I would feel if I ever stole anything. Like, it's just ingrained in my head is like that, like, Oh man, why'd I do that? Now I'm it's ruined forever. I'm this bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're not very many, but like there, there's a lot. Like sense memory, almost like um multi-sense memories from this, like every like very tied. Like there's certain Christmas songs, like Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. My first memory of that song is this movie. I White Christmas, that uh Bing Crosby song was I didn't learn about it from the White Christmas movie. I learned about it from him lip syncing and doing that the scream thing, it, it, it's I love this movie. Should we should we uh, transition into favorite scenes? I'm sure this will be the the majority of the discussion. <laughs> Scott, how about you? Let's shake up the the order. I mean, here. I guess it's just the the bit with the salt. Honestly, I know that that's kind <laughs> of dumb, but that's just what stuck with me for so long. And I, I love the way every time I see someone shoveling snow, I think of this film, right? Because <laughs> there's something about the way that actor did it yeah um, it's it was a just great so... like older brother trying to scare you story yeah like... and then the way the um the actor playing the old guy too marley yeah. both of them were just pitch perfect because he looks so malevolent well, the first time you watch the film but then the second time you watch the film he just looks like a cold man <laughs> and it's amazing how much that that transforms when you know better the second time through. I love the score over that scene. Like it, it really is like it, it's almost Tim Burton-y, like almost Danny Elfman ominous mm-hmm. in it. I'll jump in with uh, Angels with Fil- Filthy Souls, um, the movie within a movie. Ah. Anytime that's up, that's a favorite scene. And keep the change, you filthy animal, comes up in my day to day life. Um, yeah, just what a great. <laughs> little mini movie treat that we get to see snippets of. And I just want to see the whole thing um, because it looks like a fun old gangster movie. Um, And it's fun to see how Kevin progresses in using it, right? It's the movie that he references that 
Uh, Uncle Frank won't let him watch with the rest of the kids because he's not old enough. And then so he's home alone and pops it in with his cheese pizza. Um, you know, immediately uses that to uh, scare off the pizza guy and, and you know, kind of dupe him and then uses that to scare away the burglars. So I love that as a recurring um, thing. And then in the, in the sequel, we get a sequel to Angels with Filthy Souls, right? Angels with Filthier Souls. Um, oh, wow. so I just need to see those in in I, I want to watch those movies i love that every time the movie comes back we get a little bit more of it and i love the escalation of kevin watching it because first he's scared and then he goes back and he uses it as a tool but then he adds the element of the firecrackers in the pot to he's do- doing his own foley to make it sound more real so to scare the guys he's more afraid of i just like i love that the progress and once again, what a perfectly cast component of the movie for, for Ace, like the, the way those guys talk, the way they look, the way they deliver the lines. It's just perfect. It's schlocky. It's, it, it's just, yeah. I, I still haven't seen the sequel to this movie. I haven't seen Lost in New York. So I, the, the fact that there's a sequel to <laughs> the Angels with Filthier, like Filthier Souls, I'm like, I'm more inclined to watch it now. <laughs> It's a, I, I like it. I think the sequel holds up. Um, when I was logging on to see, watch this one, you know, because there's three, and yeah. then I think there's like a fourth spinoffy with yeah. a weird title. Uh, I've only seen one and two. Um, would recommend. I'm also seeing that Angels with Filthy Souls is a play Based on the name on a of a real movie. Yeah, yeah, Angels with Dirty Faces from 1938. So I'll watch that. Uh, oh, yeah, and bring classic. it to the bring it to the podcast and then yes. about that one. <laughs> snakes. I don't know no snakes. He sounded like a snake. <laughs> Sounds like something Kramer would have wrote. Like it's just such a like I love it. AC ain't in charge no more. I can, I'm gonna give you to the town of ten, count of ten, to get your ugly, yellow. No good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, it's it's just ten. Like I love it. It's so perfectly written and delivered. It has such an aesthetic. I didn't know about noir before that film, but I knew a lot about it after seeing this little bit of it. You know? I need to re-record our noir episodes to when Scott, when you asked us about favorite noir experiences with noir, so I can <laughs> reference this movie within <laughs> I mean, we still have, have a couple of noirs I can bring, you know? Yeah. Have conversation <laughs> again. Tim, what about you? Favorite scenes? I think my favorite scenes are anytime he's alone and doing like, like grown up stuff. Mm. Because like, I feel like it's, it's that version of what you think being a grown up is when you're a kid that you want to be able to do before you learn about what being a grown up actually is and how much it sucks, he has to go to, gr- to the grocery store, but he's not using his own money. He didn't have to work to earn right. that money to buy his food. You know, he, I mean, he climbed a bit. There was a little bit of, of mountaineering right. to get yeah. that money. Yeah, so he, yeah he worked. Yeah. <laughs> but like, and in the fact that he's kind of like, you know, yeah, doing, doing that sort of like, like playing house, like playing an adult where, so he gets to do that stuff like, Oh, okay. Like, when he's talking about like, oh, I washed my whole body, which I've never done before. Like, you know, to him, it's like, this is what it means to be an adult. Now that I'm an adult, I have to wash my whole body. And it's like, oh, and I kind of enjoyed it. And it's like, 
you know, like little things like that, where like seeing him enjoy himself and like going to the store and like, oh yeah, the, the army men, oh, those are for the kids, you know, that he's kind of like getting into this role playing of being an adult. And, and I feel like sometimes like I'll try to trick myself in kind of also like a uh, sucker punch kind of way where when I have to do shitty things, like I'll kind of invent this reality on top of what I'm doing to kind of make it like seem fun and interesting. Uh, I used to do this a lot when I was doing my mail job, but like I could, I could see that where it's like, yeah, if you're kind of role-playing as an adult, doing adult like things are fun because it's something that you're doing as part of this game you're playing. Um, you know, and like, and like when he gets to go to the grocery store, he gets to buy the stuff that he wants, like the macaroni and cheese dinner and whatever else, you know, and, and, you know, and he orders a pizza, he gets to, you know, he gets the pizza he wants and the pizza all to himself, you know? And so all of those little moments where I feel like he's, you know, I, I almost wonder what this movie would have been like if they hadn't tried to break into his house, if it was just him being an adult until his mom got back. Like, I wonder if he'd kind of be like, oh, oh, you're home? Like, oh, okay, so I have to go back to being the kid that gets shit on now. Like, like I almost feel like, I mean, he does miss his family. But what I what I really like about it is, like, I think he does, like, appreciate being alone. Like, he's not as scared. I mean, you know, yes, there are those moments in the basement. But he's not as afraid of just being alone. The real fear comes when it's like, okay, I've got to protect this house from invaders. So, so I really enjoy, yeah, like seeing him make the best of being alone and, and doing his best impression of what Delta is. Yeah. Those are, those are my favorite scenes. That's, I feel like that's the thing. If I had seen this as a kid, that's what I really would have connected with where it's like, oh yeah. Like, so I think that was the thing too, when I was younger, like I, I remember like going food shopping with my mom and, you know, wanting to get certain things and not being able to get those things because there's other things we have to get. So I feel like as a kid, I was like, I can't wait till I can go food shopping and buy the stuff I want. But then again, yeah, like when you are an adult and you've got X amount of dollars that you have to budget and you, you know, you're at the point where you're like, no, we do need vegetables, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, so shopping sucks. You know, you, you don't just get to go there and buy a, you know, a bag of marshmallows and ice cream, like, you know, so yeah, so that 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 part is really appealing to me, getting into that mindset. I love where he's narrating his like bathroom regimen. It's yeah. so American psycho, it hurts. Yeah. This time <laughs> watching it, I could not get that thought out of my head. It's like this kid grows up to be Jason ba- or uh, Bateman. Uh, uh, Patrick Norman Bateman? Bateman? Patrick Bateman. Norman Bates is the guy from Psycho. Patrick Bateman right. is the guy from American Psycho, which you're kind of supposed to forget his name because he impersonates all these other fucking yuppies in that movie. Um, but like that movie came out in 2000. I don't know when Emerson or Ellison wrote American Psycho, but like that's all I could think was like this kid is narrating his routine. He's like putting on the adult suit in the way that Bateman is putting on the person suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, really? That's so great. So my favorite. I mean, I love everything about this movie, but the thing that I always love is when the mom is calling the police station <laughs> and it goes from the person at the police department. She goes hyper on two, like the, 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 the interplay between her and this great character actor who played Mr. Heckles in friends. He was the downstairs uh, neighbor who dies telling them to shut up. Like, I love him. I love that he's a Chicago cop. He's eating a donut. He's talking through the donut. He's got a great talking with his mouthful voice. And, the, like, 
the donut is like coming off in the perfect place on his face and the yes, separation on the phone <laughs> the separation of this like little bubbled glass between family trauma and the standard police department and the fact that they know each other rose and i can't remember the the male detective's name but the fact that they just little tap on the glass before like they have this dynamic is this whole little world of the police station and it's so funny to me and the fact that he has this like monotone delivery eating a donut he's so bored with his job he's talking about the the saddest most morbid, violent, awful things, just as casually as possible. And the interplay between his energy and the mom's energy, it's just, it's its a, a masterwork. The way that's edited, the way it cuts back and forth, and the, the fact that it's like, they put her on hold and she's like, somebody pick up, pick up! She's like, she has these great levels to that performance. It's so great. Like, I, I, I love that sequence. I, I always forget about it, and then when it happens, it, it makes me so happy to, to see that little, little drama play out so what about the what do all of you think about the fact that in the end an adult saves him and solves the problem right that despite all of his clever booby traps in the end he just has to run away it's the elderly neighbor who you know bashes the guy's head in with the shovel I, he goes, he goes full it, yeah. shovel serial killer right <laughs> and, uh, South Check Bend Shovel Slayer is his that. name. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was a little too convenient, like, that he was there at the time. Because, like, yes, the two of them connected in, in, in that sense where it's like, oh, look, he, he learned to be, you know, friends with this old man, and that's why he saved him. But, like, I always thought it was too convenient that he happened to be there at that time. Like, did did he, you know, did he happen to see this happening? Like there isn't enough, you know, like where they have the whole explanation of, Oh, there was the extra kid there. We can't like, I feel like they set up at the beginning how that was possible. But with this, I feel like it was a little too convenient. I you think know, that's I guess the whole reason they switch houses at the very end. Right. Cause Kevin already called the police. They're already coming mm-hmm. to his house. You know, all his well, that's what I was wondering too. Did he house. use his address or the no, address he uses he was running the Murphy's to? house? That's the oh. one that he goes to that's flooded in the basement. That's the Murphy's house. So it's not his house. He calls to, to oh, put him yeah. there. Because he but, knew that's where he was going, and so the police would show up. Yeah, there. yeah. but yeah. like maybe they, they had him do that because they wanted everybody to move in the open from house to house so that yeah. the elderly neighbor could have the chance to see something. And I, yeah. If and he that does was the yell idea, from it didn't the, make it on the camera. Kevin but, does yell from the middle of the street, I'm calling the cops. So like, yeah. I, I, nobody else is on the street except Marley. So, yeah. and we don't see him. Like, obviously, the reveal would be spoiled if you see him, like, get into action. From mm-hmm. that. From, like, I I was thinking about, like, the construction of the third act in this film. And the, the thing that would make it kind of fall apart is the deus ex adulta in, in a certain sense. But I think it does a really good job at grounding the film. As clever mm-hmm. as Kevin is and as resourceful as he has been, he's still a little kid. And yeah. when push comes to shove... As it does, like these are dangerous, actual humans in reality, and that he need he needed some outside force to be able to survive this, and it still exists in a re a, a re a reality that we can believe. And I that this time that's that's kind of how I, I allowed that mm. to kind of play out in. That, that's how I was interpreting it this time. I like, yeah. I think it's, I, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense too, right, for him to be aware of, you know, maybe the kids aren't familiar with him, but he's aware of his neighbors. Um, 
right? I'm sure he's lived there for a while, sees the family going out of town, kind of sees Kevin home alone and and in the church and and is wondering what's going on. Um, so I think it makes sense for him to kind of be on the lookout for Kevin from that moment. Um, and I did like the the church pep talk and um, I, I like how Kevin just interprets it as like, okay, I'm going to go home and kick ass and protect my house, which is a very <laughs> different message than I think what they were talking about. But Kevin's like, you know what, I'm going to make a battle plan and shoot, shoot some guys. Like, let's, let's do this thing. Um, I, I thought it was a pretty poetic and pretty neat relationship that they had. I love the exchange of like advice in that because Marley doesn't go in to talk to him to give him advice or to 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 get uh, advice about his son, but they both kind of come out like with more of a respect for each other. It's like, oh, this kid's really clever and like smart, and I are, I've been like bitter and kind of entrenched in these feelings about this for a long time. Like, I thought it was just great and it was believable. Like, Macaulay is such a great actor as a kid. Can we talk about that for a second? Like. He's got a great use of the instrument in terms of like conveying emotion and gravitas and snark and all these things. Like that's, I mean, he was the most famous child actor like since Shirley Temple is in a sense. I more money, more films. I think I I might be wrong about that, but just like the 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 scale to it, like he was at the right moment, but also really good at conveying those moments. And nowhere better, I think, than that scene with Marley. And then when he's looking at the window, wishing his parents had come back, have come back that I, I think there's a lot of, of gravitas to that. And it works because he's a great little actor, you know, quick tangent. Did you say, uh, was Shirley Temple the reference? I was saying or, since Shirley right. Temple. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, I don't know that he has more than Shirley. Cause I remember the late night infomercials for like the 50 DVD. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She set. did like, oh, I, I think she did shorts too, right? Like she has a huge, I like she did a lot. A yeah. Huge... But yeah, no, he was the child actor, right. Of the, of the nineties there. It was fun to see. Um, and, and click, uh, in my head this time seeing Kieran Calkin plays Fuller. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's, oh, does he? Thought. Yeah. No, I didn't I, notice that. I was, cause he looks exactly like him. Yeah. Like, yeah, and then so I looked it up this time, and I don't know if it was just because Kieran Culkin he was just on SNL, so that was fresh on, in my mind. Um, wow. But that was really cool. To, that was one of the discoveries that I made this time. So it's one of those movies where there's something new every time, um, and very fun to see. Kieran Another Culkin like what perfect kid. casting, like right for the, the look, but also like all these kids as little as you interact with them, you know exactly who they are. Yeah, right. Like you don't need to see Buzz for very long to know who that kid is. Like right. I like I love that. Yeah, it's a, it's a Macaulay as a as a child actor too. I think I'm just thinking of his roles and again in the Page Master and here and uh, um, Richie Rich. I think you know he, he had some range, right? I mean, as far as he, he played similar ish roles, but I think the Page Master role to those other two is very different. And yeah, it's it's interesting to go from being a kid and watching him and feeling like you could relate to him and how he interacts with the other characters to being an adult and, and being able to recognize, you know, kind of the charisma that he has and uh, the, the humor and the delivery that he brings too. when he's Did you ever see the video white Christmas. It's just like, look at this kid, look at this guy just dancing with it. And then when he's mouthing the words to uh, angel angels with filthy souls, just the way that he's like, He's gone from being like cowering and calling for his mom to that film to like 
embodying the facial tics and mannerisms of the delivery of those lines. It's just like, <laughs> it's such a great little, this is a great movie for runners. There's little things that run all the way, like the tarantula runner. We, we track the, the tarantula to that pivotal moment. Like we almost have more of a deus ex machina with the fucking tarantula in that moment. He just happens to be on the stairs. Like for that moment to happen. And then for Marley to save him, like similar universes, but like there's, they track them just long enough to remind you and let you forget before the next time they show up. And that's such a great quality to this film. That's I, I feel like I should, that credit kind of belongs to the editing, to be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. They could have shown you a lot more way too much of those things or not shown you enough, but they play that balancing act really well. Can we talk about uncle Frank for a minute? I hate this man. This is the, <laughs> like my least favorite villain in any movie. The, the character acting of this man is so fucking perfect for this guy. Like, I, what are you guys' Uncle Frank impressions? When we were talking earlier about, um, yeah, Tim, when you were talking about the different, you know, the mom and her parenting, and I was going to jump in and kind of rank <laughs> how adult people are in this because it real. I feel like so the mom is measured and calm right maybe she could have done some things differently when, but I think you know he calls her a dummy and says I wish I didn't have a family I think her being calm and measured and saying you know maybe you'll regret saying that think about that is 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 a very drastic change from anything else we see and I think that probably in some ways Kevin is more of an adult than than Uncle Frank is right I think <laughs> Kevin's dad is the kind of dad that's, you know, kind of hands off maybe a little bit, right? Asks the mom, you know, did you get the the adapter for the charger? And he's just putting everything on her. So his adultness is, is I have some questions about too. But Uncle Frank's just an asshole, right? Like, who just is that mean <laughs> to a child so many times? Uh, I'll fight Uncle Frank right now. It's, that's where I stand. Well, I also want to know too, like what what parents let... I mean, even if it's, I also am not clear, like, is he married into the family or is he the brother of the father or the mother? Like, mm. like who's related to whom by blood, but like, yeah, who lets someone call their kid a jerk? And it's not just like, Hey, you son of a bitch. Like, yeah, like he's acting up, but like, exactly. Like no, no one defended him. Like everybody yeah. in that kitchen is like, fuck you little kid attacking a bigger kid. Yeah. Like, why would he attack the bigger kid? He's not doing that out of his own self-interest. There's there's more to the story here. Do some investigation. Right. Like I Scott, what do you what do you think about Uncle Frank? Well, with your bit, I think you all said before, the youngest kids sometimes get away with things. So I have seen some younger siblings who are willing to attack bigger older you know, do things that are in the cult interest because they just figure, Oh, well, I'm the younger one, you'll get in trouble too bad. So But you do that I, behind closed doors. <laughs> You hit the ground and you start crying, and right. then they come in. And so you don't even need to throw hands. <laughs> I I don't know that Frank Uncle Frank stood out because he's just in the middle of this entire block of the whole family shitting on on Kevin. So like it's just his turn, sort of. You know, he's he's like number twelve in line. But whatever, he's an adult, know. though. He's an adult yelling right, at the kid in that way. He's an adult, and he's the me. last one. It's the last thing, and that's it echoes. True. It echoes <laughs> out, and it's like, that's how it, it seems to be speaking for the whole group. Nobody raises a voice in dissension. I think part of it is that there are so many adults, you know, that they had to sort of, only one adult could be paying attention. And that's why she could get confused by the extra kid and the, the head count and et cetera, right? 
it, it's part of their suspension of disbelief for leaving him behind in the first place. So that's why the mom pays attention to the kids, but the dad is sort of more focused on the plane tickets and the uncle's just an asshole. So he doesn't give a shit. And the aunt, I don't even remember honestly what her deal was, but like she's barely in it. Like she has well, no right. interaction. There you go. Like, so, <laughs> who knows? But uh, again, like I felt like yeah, because again, if there'd been two adults paying attention, two sets of eyes, it would have piled even more weight onto the. I can't believe they left the kid behind six times in the course of this journey, you know, type of thing. So I think it it provides a punctuation to the whole family sitting on him. But he is still just kind of one in the line for me. And then it's otherwise, it's just another reason for him to be be left behind and to be happy about it. You know, I, I just I it's so interesting to me with that character that every line that he says contributes to this shit kicker persona. Like he's he's checking the crystal of the fucking like it's like yeah. a sugar or like a, 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 a salt, salt shaker. Salt or pepper yeah. shaker like, yeah. That's yeah. real crystal put it in your purse put it in your purse and then the the stewardess comes or the flight attendant comes up is like instantly like quiet like like trying to hide the fact that he just fucking stole it and then it's like if it makes you feel any better i forgot my reading glasses she just forgot her fucking son and you're comparing it and then when they're in france he opens the shrimp cocktail when that's supposed to be for later, it's one of the only lines his wife says, no, those are supposed to be for later. And he just fucking makes it all about his, like, look at me, such a great host. I'm in my brother's house. And I'm like, let's, let's eat fucking shrimp cocktail. See, but I think that's a little bit more on purpose, too, to, to further differentiate Kevin's chunk of the family oh, yeah. from the asshole cousins. And especially to emphasize the chaos they brought when they showed up at the house. Right. right? I, I'm not mad at it. Here's like, oh, no, I, yeah. I do not like this character. I love the performance. I love the writing because I had uncles like this. I've had family members like this dude. And it's, it's, it's almost like nobody did as, as specific things as this, but like, it's that uncle, it's that fucking uncle who has no decorum. And it's, it's great. I, I, I love that as a part of the, I love that the movie took the time to make that character that way. I need to inter- insert uh, some grievances, right? Because after <laughs> the salt and pe- pepper shakers, the stewardess flight attendant comes up and he's guilty and he just demands that they pour uh, champagne. He's like, fill it up, fill it up, fill it up. You yep. need to air that grievance of him being a jerk. And then. Oh, then um, he orders champagne. He's like, it's free, isn't it? Like, he's fucking a cheapskate, too, on top of everything. Sorry. Right. Yeah. And then. Uh, yeah, the reading glasses one. And then, you know, she's talking about, uh, you know, everyone's comforting her and, hey, it'll be okay. We'll get it figured out. And <laughs> it didn't make me laugh, but he's just saying it's horrible, horrible, just horrible. Horrible. Really, You're not like, helping. It into, yeah, just condescending. <laughs> also, real quick, very important, uh, BuzzFeed has dug into it and the the uh, men in the family are all brothers. So um, Frank is Peter's brother. Okay. Okay. What's the brother in France? What's his name? Rob. Rob. Okay. And Rob, got, Peter, Frank. Yeah. And so Kevin's got two sisters, two brothers. Right. Uh, Frank and Leslie have the five kids. And then Rob and Georgette have three unnamed kids that we see in the background of the Paris apartment. And then the one girl who tells Joe Pesci, you know, my parents are in Paris. So right. we've got a family tree if we need more references. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Pesci and Stern are like Laurel and Hardy. Like it, it, it's, it's crazy. What a great combination those two are. 
I forget about Daniel Stern, but like City Slickers and this, forget about it. Like such great timing, such great look. He has that similar like bodies type to like John Cleese. He just looks lanky and awkward. You put him against other people. It's like, who is this pillar of a man standing next to these people? I I think he's hilarious. My favorite is the fucking scream he does when he puts the tarantula on his face. Like, he's got like a it, final girl scream. It's outstanding. Whatever I expect the scream to be, it's always like 10 notches higher than what I actually expect. It's, it's always just like blood curdling like <laughs> it's so high and it's so strong like there's some diaphragm support in that scream it's so uh, good and he's already been through so much and we've heard him scream so many times leading yeah. up to this and it's still like oh man well, that's the moment yeah i feel like the only scream worse oh this is gonna get dark for a minute the only <laughs> scream that i've heard that's worse is you know from 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 an actor is uh xander's character on buffy when uh when have you guys do you have you guys seen Buffy? I don't want to spoil. I haven't, but I don't mind. So. Nathan Fillion actually started on Buffy before he went to Firefly. I think it was before, and he actually takes he puts his thumb through Xander's eye, <sighs> and the scream that Xander lets out is like, like I, I didn't want to sleep for days because that's like I know I'm going to dream about this. So that's the only scream in sort of like acting Hollywood history, whatever, where it's <sighs> like more just like gets you like. I mean, if you're watching horror, sure, I feel like there are worse screams, but you're expecting it as horror. So to like to come out of this movie and ju- it's just like, damn. Like, I guess you could always also throw like the Phantom of the Opera, Christine's scream that she does at the end. <laughs> you know, like that's up there. It's like those three screams for me. So should we talk about our favorite trap, pratfall, or to be able to talk about the 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 this trope, the idea of like turning the tables on the home invasion is this movie like the, it has yeah. its origin is like and these are some really well cr- designed traps i i, I really mm-hmm. like them so like okay well that's easy in keeping with my two answer situation right the paint <laughs> cans are probably my favorite <laughs> in terms of I just, it's so simple i mean it's yep. just a paint can on a string it's brilliant right and i've I think everyone I know who's ever interacted with a paint can has hurt themselves on a paint can in some way, right? They've dropped it. They've Opening it or trying to close it. Right. So, so it's brilliant and universal. But the other thing that I, I love is the ice on the stairs. Because in doing that on purpose, he, he shows way more awareness of basic science than like 90% of people who design <laughs> buildings. <laughs> Put rain gutters at the tops of their stairs and stuff, you know? <laughs> so, it's icy know. steps for me too. And I actually do remember after watching Home Alone one Christmas, wanting to go out and try the icy steps things. <laughs> and, and I think my parents <laughs> let me do it, but not obviously to the whole house. But they're like, take this little square of, of this side step that's kind of, you know, on the other side away from the rail. And you can see what ice there is like and, you know, make sure no one walks there and and got to try it. So <laughs> Icy Steps has a place in my heart. Um, and then I think Blowtorch to the Head has a place in my brain memories. Just, I think that <laughs> stands that out so murderous much. to look at, yeah, too. That is a lot. And they linger on that and the Blowtorch just hits him as he screams. So that's, <laughs> yeah, those the- are my two. I love the two genres of the slippery <laughs> steps because Stern gets, that's the fall is Stern's fall. Cause he goes, ah! he's got that like little road rut, like SpongeBob laugh thing as he goes down the stairs and then him trying to find a way up and his two feet going to the two sides to stabilize him. 
and then using the crowbar to come up and then falling and the crowbar hitting him in the head. And the crowbar comes back when he leaves. He leaves out that door and he slips again. And then you hear him fall and then the crowbar fall. The callbacks, that it's brilliant, that specific. And then Joe Pesci falling and not being able to curse. What a beautiful thing to exist in the world. Like how joyful an experience to watch this good fella just fucking eat it hard on those stairs over and over just <laughs> outstanding as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a home invader <laughs> <laughs> and i would have gotten away I with think... it too if it hadn't been for that little fucking kid <laughs> yeah i i think for me it's the uh um raise of the lost ark reference with the doorknob burning <laughs> the mm-hmm. into his hand mm-hmm. i i there's a couple of those spielberg little uh, uh references because there's you get a little bit of the indie theme in that scene with the the burnt hand like there's a little bit of a reference in the score and then when kevin goes on the zip line out the door you get a little bit of et like there's a little bit of that score in there and i we we could talk about the score too but i love the score in this and it really like there's a lot of connective tissue between this score and the harry potter film scores and I love that. Like, that's why Which I always associate really fitting, Harry uh... Potter with Christmas is yeah. like, because of those little Kevin's theme, like his, like, did, 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 like, I can't remember like how the theme goes, but that little motive, like, I love it when the French horns come in with it. Like it, it's so great. Yeah. Like the, and I love that the score just goes fucking ham after he leaves the church. Like it's like now battle time and it's like no holds barred. Like it, it, it really pushes the energy. Um, yeah, I really like the handprint and I love that Dwight in the office uses that. He, he home alones it when he traps them in uh, uh, stress relief part one in mm-hmm. I think it's season five, episode 14, where he, he I, I researched that so I could be sound smart in a second. <laughs> but like, I love that he uses the same torch method to make the the handle hot i i really like that oh yes the fire drill yeah. <laughs> right that's one of Save the best bits of that whole show Save that's one of the best like <laughs> our listeners and you guys like if you listen to one episode of the office ladies listen to them talk about that because the the, the um, that cold open is so intense and so huge like they have a lot of insight like how they did band how they threw them up in this uh, captured that shot how oscar going into the like it, it's a great episode of the office ladies podcast like oh. it, it's really fun i there is nothing more visceral than the nail in the foot yeah oh, it's worse yeah. than the chest burster and alien for me it, it's just so it's so un you can't save it yeah it, 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 and it's so deliberately it's like a and you think it makes me think every time of like how hard i step when I'm going up some oh, stairs yeah. and the fact that he just yeah. like that, the, the sound is perfect. The depth is perfect where it hits him in the pad of the foot is perfect. And his reaction is pitch perfect. It, it's just, what's funny is a quiet place has made that so much worse Yes, because the quiet place one is, is worse. It's, it's awful. But now every time you see the home alone one, I think of the quiet place one <laughs> cringe twice as hard. That watching Quiet Place for the first time, I was like, they fucking Kevin McAllistered this and it's brilliant. <laughs> what a funny thing to reference. And I mean it's Krasinski. So Krasinski was part of the office to have those there's home alone references going through the whole thing. 
Like I, that's yeah, that's so uh, great. I, I also honorable mention. It's not quite in the last half, but the 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 house party that he simulates is uh, so brilliant. To it. Yeah. It's really clever. Mm-hmm. It's really it's one of my favorite parts where he's kind of like got all he's got it tied to like different parts of his body and it's like one man banding it and he's he's just like having a good time and i i really like that moment and it showed like you you gradually find out how clever kevin is and the fact that he goes all out and is effective in that moment is is really great for characterization and also kind of showing you the scale to which he will go to defend the house later like it's a great like kind of link between the second act and the third act is that moment yeah you beat me to it i was gonna say honorable mention to the house party you got to give it to that uh just for having a michael jordan cut out which is another interesting seed planted because you spend a moment in buzz's room earlier he's got the the sports memorabilia and you see all of the cardboard cutouts you know for that to get used later uh as a decoy i was also going to give an honorable mention to because it's not really a booby trap but just straight up shooting people through the dog door is great like shooting a guy in the nuts and then the other guy looks down and you just shoot him in the face it's not a (laughs) not really a booby trap but it it were it's worthy of a mention for just shooting people (laughs) point blank like you said to like it is it is violent film like i i I guess i never really thought about it because they're the bad guys and fuck them and i i thought about it like in looney term too it's like they'll be fine they'll be back for the next one but like pesci burns his head like that's such a brutal and when when you see it coming out of the eye the the snow and it's all red and puffed out and then when they push his head under to put him in the cop watch the head like i it's just a great yeah they 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 beat those dudes up <laughs> why the hell you dressed like a chicken that one's the funniest i think the 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 saran wrap and the feathers is the funniest break it does nothing except frustrate joe pesci (laughs) and that i think that's what makes me laugh about it is that joe pesci came to work that day chris columbus walked up to him and says so this is what we're gonna do (laughs) we'll we'll try and get it in one take but it might not work in one take (laughs) and pesci just like how much are they paying me again the fuck is this movie that i'm in (laughs) did he really get burned or did they use some kind of perspective trickery i i'm sure i mean because I, of the way they had it like i i yeah. think there's definitely i think you can tell like how much taller that is it almost yeah. kind of looks like a little color separation but it's it's hard like if there is a it's scene, hard i can't yeah. see it like it's a really good effect because it leaves me wondering if they didn't use some you know like actors get set on fire a lot for real but they used clever clothing and that sort of thing right so mm. if maybe they did really torch him and burn away some sort of you know flash quick disposable fire retardant hat piece or something i don't know i can't tell it's good and like all it's practical the effects are so practical like i mean there's no cg in this film obviously it's 1990s so like that tech would be worlds but like there's immediacy these like who hasn't tripped on a micro machine who hasn't stepped on a lego or an ornament oh the icy steps yeah like it's just it's it's grounded It, it, it it is elevated and kind of they put the gas on to make it kind of over the top but everything about it is really grounded it's like this is what a kid would be familiar with these are the materials these are the things that and you see that he's clever and it's like well what would hurt paint like what would trip somebody up well i know this almost hurt my aunt 
Like, yeah, they lay the, the groundwork really well. Chekhov's toys. Yeah. <laughs> well, I gotta say, I am kind of disappointed that he didn't use fish hooks in any of his traps. I feel like they did talk so much about and fish hooks are just, oh god, fucking a. Yeah, like they're the worst. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been cool to see like Pesci with a fish hook in his cheek for the rest of the movie. You know, like <laughs> it's brutal. That's right up there with the nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used, he used the ornaments though, right? Under yeah. the yeah, yeah. but the tree maybe not the yeah, but not yeah, fish not the fish hook. Ornaments. That's fair. Yeah, like maybe that maybe they were planning on the part where Pesci walks through the sheet of saran wrap. Maybe that was supposed to be like fish hooks, <laughs> and they're like, no, no, that's too much. <laughs> We don't we want to go... do Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah, we can't go full pinhead. Like, no, that's too much. <laughs> oh, so that was the thing. I, so I wanted to add, so Zeke, you saw the sequel. Does Pesci mm-hmm. still have the burn on his hand? Does that come back? Like the M that's imprinted in his hand from the doorknob? That's a good question. Um, not remembering it. I feel like it might be Looney Tunes-ish in that way where, you know, he doesn't have a burned off head and a burn imprint in his hand. But I, that's a good question. So I feel I've like watched... that would be another callback, you know, like to how that happens in Raiders where he's like got the thing on his hand, you know, and we see it. It's like, <laughs> oh, look, the thing is burned in. Like, yeah. yeah, I've seen two much less than I've seen one. So I'm having I can't remember. Okay. But yeah, I know his Trump is yeah. in the sequel, which yeah. has been my. Yeah. Reason. Yeah. I watched it recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like the moment when he goes to Buzz's room and he crashes everything and he discovers that or we discover that firecrackers are greater than Playboy in the Kevin McAllister head. <laughs> Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Like, I, I love that. Like, I never had an older brother. Like, this this made me think of, like, what it would be like. And the cathartic nature, like, to go through his stuff when with no repercussions until the end. Like, it's also a great end mo- line. Like, a great ending line to the movie to be like, Kevin! what did you do to my room? Like, and it, it, it ceases to be the man of the house at that moment. Cause he welcomes <laughs> everybody else, but that brings it back to like, okay, he's a little kid again. And like, I, I love that real quick. Uh, yeah. Hand burn is still there in two. And there is apparently okay. a slow-mo dramatic ominous zoom up to it. So okay, nice. Oh, is that how he recognizes him? <laughs> I mean, I think it's just there as a treat because I think he looks pretty much the same in the games with uh, Marv. So I'm sure you would a, recognize that face yeah, after they right. trade and bite your fingers off. Yeah. Easy to. <laughs> so does he remember. have a new gold tooth, or is it just missing in that one? Or another good question. We'll have to get into this when we watch Home Alone Two. <laughs> He's like, I'm not really next Christmas for this Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> too home, too furious. <laughs> 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 like two home would be like if if it was uh tim burton and helena bonham carter's two mansions connected by the tunnel he's got two houses to defend this time <laughs> and unlike vin diesel kevin does not have family correct <laughs> <laughs> mccoy culkin actually made like a short film like you know on youtube i'm sure somewhere of like kevin McAllister all grown up and how fucked yep. up he is oh, right yeah i remember that that's in the last couple of years. Like that's been pretty recent. Yeah, isn't he like an Uber driver or something like that? And it's like <laughs> another really. F- I love this moment where the mom. What's the actress's name? Zeke. I can't remember her name. Uh, Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara. When she is negotiating with the woman in line, and they're just listing all of the things, and the, just I yeah. love those two character actors. I love that couple. 
I love the guy just was like so over it. He's like, she's got a whole shoebox full of earrings, big old dangly ones. I love the way he talks. I love that line. And I love that they're listing all of these things that, that she's like, oh, you like the earrings. You like the earrings. Like, <laughs> and I, I love it's a, another layer to that performance that Catherine O'Hara gives is that she's so desperate from a mother to a mother. There's so much earnestness and it becomes, it's very, it starts very callous and like this commodification, like what, what is getting home to your child worth? And at the end, it resolves. It's just so earnest and so desperate and so bursting with like, I can't, like, I need somebody to help me. And it, it's, it's just a brilliant moment. And, but those, those two actors are just great in that scene. I love that scene too. Yeah. It's really sweet. I like that. She's going to give up her husband's seat. Cause she's like offering <laughs> them two tickets yeah. mm-hmm. and then she's going to take their two tickets and get on by herself. Cause her husband's not there. And then it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm ready next morning. Like, oh wait, like I don't have a ticket anymore. <laughs> i I gotta talk about dollar store santa real quick yeah please (laughs) yes please this this sequence is so pitch perfect from from the elf the disaffected elf and his interact oh nice shoes like this that whole like dynamics like hey you could catch it he's like how low can you get given parking ticket to chris kringle on christmas eve what's next rabies shots for the easter buddy like the 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 (laughs) I don't know who played this guy. He's very Wayne Knight adjacent, like Nedry or, or uh, uh, Newman. Like I, 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 he just has a great cadence, great face, great voice. But I love that Kevin has this like little kid confidence. Like I know you're not the real Santa. I know how it works. And the kid, the Santa's like, okay. But he has this this system. Like his parents told him, like no, it's not the real Santa. But they work for him. They report back. It's a whole like, like they, I, I love that little kid structure to your mind like that's the origin i love that moment and i love that what he asked santa for is his family back and he details all this and santa looks at him horrified because it sounds like this kid's whole family died tragically i never really got that until this watch is like (laughs) he just dropped a bomb on this santa (laughs) like the saddest thing your santa on christmas eve and all you could give this kid is some tic tacs. Like I, yeah. I just, I love that little moment. It just, it, I love that scene. That's got to be a surreal, like black comedy somewhere, right? Of the Santa, the vigilante Santa and Elf crew who spent the <laughs> holiday season murdering abusive parents. Right? <laughs> Santa, will you stop Daddy from hitting me? Santa will see what he can do. You know, and they wake up in the morning with the parent just missing. <laughs> gone there's a dark version of home alone where like the reason he's so brutal to the bandits is the bandits kill his family (laughs) and it's like now you're in my house (laughs) he becomes the jigsaw killer yeah Yeah. (laughs) like there's a million i love this movie so much and i love talking to you guys about it it's so fun (laughs) one thing i thought of is that the one where he goes and he buys oh two two parts to this scene number one when he buys all that shit and it comes up to less than twenty dollars, yeah, it's like bullshit. Like I'll get <laughs> two things at the grocery store and it's over twenty dollars. Um, and he got brand name and then, detergent and shit. Like there was some product placement in that. He didn't get yeah regular shit. <laughs> and then the amount that the cashier cared about his situation, it's like. I, whoever wrote this movie never worked in retail because <laughs> I, don't, I don't give a fuck who's coming through my like get the fuck out of here like 
I, I, I don't care. I don't like you could be a fucking a two year old buying fucking you know shotgun shells. Uh, here, give me the money. Get the fuck out of here. I don't. You're care. fucking like, uh, uh, Dante and clerks selling cigarettes to minors. That's what you're. Just, yeah. just put them through the line. Yeah, just get out of here. I want to go back to whatever I was doing before you came in and disrupted me. <laughs> Fact, yeah, the fact that she's so interested, like, wait a minute, are you here by yourself? What's your deal? Like, no, maybe no, she's new. She, does, she doesn't care. <laughs> she's you know? new. That's she, true. She hasn't been ruined. Hasn't yet. had her soul crushed yet. <laughs> yeah. For the kids, are those TV dinners any good or microwave dinners? I don't know. I'll give them a whirl. I just love like yeah. he has this little adult conversation, like small talk. Like I, I love that. It's <laughs> yeah, but yeah, she's very like I, I love his responses too. It's like I can't tell you where I live. Why is that? You're a stranger. I just, yeah. it was great. What a great, what a great Trump card. <laughs> like, it was yeah. so good. Another favorite line I'll throw in is when he says, when I'm grown up and married, I'm living alone. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> living alone while married. <laughs> oh, kids. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. We, 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 we can now sashay away into our <laughs> most beloved and long-standing segment which i'll put right here it is it is time for <laughs> another situational movie recommendations. so what is your favorite fictional movie within a movie inspired by angels with the filthiest soul oh god so i will start and i will take scorcher six global meltdown here we go again, again, from oh, man. Tropic <laughs> Thunder, choice. Tug Speedman's sixth Scorcher film, <laughs> with the two babies <laughs> on this global meltdown. <laughs> I mean, we can just list, all the, the tropic, <laughs> list all the Tropic Thunder fake movies, because all of those are great. What's the... Satan's Alley with Toby Satan's Alley. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> the Fatties. I love Fatties it, Part yeah. 3, right? <laughs> yeah. Topic Thunder's full of them. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a good one. Um, I'll go with Stab from Scream. That's a good one. I have to. Um, and then, I mean, it's hard to top this one, though. Yeah, it's hard to top Angels with Filthy Souls and Angels with Even Filthier Souls. <laughs> I'm going to think, though. This is a very niche <laughs> question. Mm. If you want to, you can extend it to in TV too. Like if there's a movie in a, uh, I have a, a suggestion, but I don't want to take it from anybody. <laughs> the zombie movie that the kids make in uh, uh, um, Super Eight. Super Eight. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Or if we want to extend it, like favorite move, like real movie that's playing in the background of, of a movie, like or how it interacts with. Like if we want to make it more broad, because I think I might, we might have taken the ones that were more red and lily obvious. I, I am clicking on a real one from something, but I can't remember what the original thing was or what the real one was. But that they were watching a real movie, and the movie we're in is like a, a loose remake. So the joke is that. They're giving their plot away partway through. And I know the film on television is a black and white noir, but I can't dredge up any more of a memory than that, which I know is, is not very helpful. Is it out cold and they're watching Casablanca? <laughs> oh, maybe that's what I'm based thinking on of, though, but I don't... That doesn't ring a bell. I feel like 8mm is a cheater because he's like Fellini's main character is making a movie in it. That doesn't ever get made. It's more nuanced and more 
<laughs> oh, that's what mine was. Um, how in uh, adaptation they're on the set for being John Malkovich oh, because okay. the yeah I think yeah. was I talking about this and uh, with you Joel like the whole so yeah so the movie adaptation he's the screenwriter of being John Malkovich and adaptation in that film Nicholas Cage plays the writer and his fictional twin brother. Oh, and there's a part where no, you it, were it telling me about yeah, it's during the filming of being John Malkovich because that's a uh, you know screenplay that he wrote, and he's like on the set and he like waves at John Cusack and John Cusack ignores him. He's like, I don't know who you are. You're just a writer. You're not famous. <laughs> I might be making this up, but isn't there something on the TV in the pawn shop in in Pulp Fiction that inspires Bruce Willis to pick up the sword and go back in? Oh, isn't it, it's a it's a kung fu and isn't it right? basically oh, yeah. uh, a parody of what kill bill eventually was yeah <laughs> so isn't think, that yep. the idea that kill yeah. bill is a movie within the, the character universe and that right yeah, yeah saw kill bill the the fake kill bill and got the sword That'll, that's my answer that adds up that's a good one i like that one zeke's d- diligently researching <laughs> i i can't beat uh stab yeah. <laughs> stab's a solid one yeah in my research, I did see um fictional movie in Boogie Nights, and I feel like y'all are Boogie Nights fans. I haven't seen Boogie Nights. Oh, I haven't seen it. That so was one I wanted Tim. to bring for a while, oh. yeah. So, Tim, do you oh, want to oh, play the one that they're making? Movie? I guess so, yeah. I've never seen Boogie Nights either, so I was oh, yeah. <laughs> going to cue that up for you if you wanted to <laughs> take it. No, yeah, you could take it. Um, uh, Brock Landers, is that his name? Is the, his character name that he makes up for the, uh, for the, film, the series of films? I think that's what it said yeah yeah well that didn't help i'm sorry i was trying to give you an alley <laughs> what about the the austin powers movie at, at the beginning of austin oh, powers that's Spy a good one shag me right that, that's that. the one oh, with yeah. tom cruise and yeah danny oh, devito wow. and, and then spacey uh, plays uh dr evil right yeah uh-huh the uh whatever they're the... filming in la confidential right that kevin spacey loves being the the consultant on they're filming that like TV series that's just supposed to be Dragnet, but not Dragnet. So in adaptation, there's a movie called The Orchid Thief within it. Yeah, I think that's the, is that the name of the book? I think that he's supposed to be yeah, writing an adaptation for. Yeah, they're adapt. Yeah. Adapt, yeah, yeah. For some reason, I thought of adaptation as like a, a horror movie, like Annihilation. Oh, so, yeah. I never thought of it as like an adaptation of a book for a screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm looking at, there's, uh, Big Fat Liar. There's a, a film called Big Fat Liar within that. That's a <laughs> uh, Agent Cody Banks, early Frankie Muniz, deep cuts. Brock Landers, Angels Live in My Town is the fictional um, yeah. film in Boogie Nights. Clerks has all those pornos that he lists. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really niche one. Like, <laughs> So in the movie Grindhouse, there was a fictional movie called Machete. Which they it actually they made into a series, so that that's oh cool. that's right. Oh, here's another one: uh, History of the World Part One. At the end, they teased the film History of the World Part Two: Jews in Space and Hitler on Ice. That's also <laughs> I like that one a lot. Which we're getting. Nick Kroll is one of the head writers. Uh, Mel Brooks is executive producer. They're going to do a series for History of the World Part Two. Oh God! <laughs> what about the uh, the idiocracy bit? Isn't there? Um, I guess not necessarily a film, but the whole Brondo commercial series? Because those, I, I I think, those arised from a group of guys who made 
energy drink videos on YouTube gotcha. were brought in to do Brondo. <laughs> so that's a nice little internet. I, I don't, maybe not. Maybe that's the other way around. Power thirst. Power thirst and Brondo. Right. <laughs> oh, the, oh, okay. Yeah. Power thirst. Rocket edition. And it's got electrolytes. <laughs> what plants crave? <laughs> there's also Gun. within <laughs> within the three amigos there's all these three like dueling amigos shooting for love little netty grab your gun those darn amigos little netty goes to war amigos 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 <laughs> those those are solid too <laughs> i'll lock in uh springtime for hitler from the producers it's a play oh, but it's go. but i'll go with oh, it anyway. yes. <laughs> that that wins. <laughs> you out Mel Brooks me. And it takes yeah. it oh, takes a big man to do that. <laughs> well, if we're, do, if we're doing plays, then whatever the play is that's being performed in Noises Off. I don't know if that play is also called oh, Noises Off. Oh my gosh, off, Noises Off is so great. Yes. I haven't seen that one either. Brilliant. I was going to bring that at one point, and I was like looking to buy it, but I think it's like super expensive because it's like old and rare or something. But mm-hmm. Sweet, that one was fun. I'm Sorry, we it yeah. was a slow starter, but it, I think it's a fun <laughs> one to play around with. Well, that sort of uh, wraps up our special holiday episode here. Special holiday episode. <laughs> All right, now I've got an extra one of you. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. I, I'm still trying to think of a good booby trap joke, but I can't put anything together. I guess I'm not as clever as Kevin. So, yeah, we can't booby trap our podcast, can we? I guess once you click on it, you're addicted. That's, that's I can about. edit in a really can, loud noise, right? Oh, God. <laughs> you could do a Rick roll for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to give you. Uh, well, until next time, stay away from any icy steps, listeners, and uh, happy holidays. Good night. Bye. Bye. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Zeke's moving about the cabin once again. Hey. <laughs> Fucking SharePoint. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. More like suck point. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> Prefer that you didn't share like share SharePoint. Share <laughs> share <pain. laughs> yeah. Share <laughs> gun pointed at my head. <laughs> it was so good I poured my beer directly down my shirt. Oh, no. Instead of it in my mouth. I know. <laughs> Suck it out of the shirt quick. Some, sometimes your dick gets thirsty too. <laughs> I like how Tim, to go two for two. Tim went for like the obvious <laughs> was gonna be funny joke. And both Scott and <laughs> yeah. I were like, we held back because we wanted to try and write something more clever. But he got you with the he got the yeah, fucking spit take. You only needed suck point. It didn't have yeah. to be well constructed. It was the context of the more like suck point. It absolutely was. Yeah. Uh, Don't we're, need to we're try all too still, We're all still 10-year-old boys at heart. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I go for the low hanging fruit because that's what works. <laughs> Not very low when you're 10 years old. <laughs> well, you're lower to the ground, so technically. That's true. That's yeah. fair. <laughs>